0: Welcome to The Menu on Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. Thomas Picor Wiso's new food memoir about growing up on the Menominee Reservation is out. Wiso died earlier this year, but his wife is helping share the memories and recipes that were such a big part of his life. We'll hear from her coming up this hour. We'll also explore a proposal in Congress to secure funds and other resources to help tribes manage bison herds across the country. The bill has support from both sides of the aisle. That's also coming up right after the news.
1: This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Lake County says it will no longer handle felony cases for tribal members on Northwest Montana's Flathead Reservation come next spring. But as Montana Public Radio's Aaron Bolton reports, there are many open questions about whether the state will fill that
2: void. The agreement known as Public Law 280 gives Lake County authority to charge and prosecute tribal members for felony crimes. But the county says it's withdrawing because the state isn't paying for that work. That means the Lake County Jail and Attorney's Office will no longer handle cases involving tribal members. Under the agreement, the state is supposed to take over that responsibility. But Lake County Commission Chair Gail Decker says Governor Gianforte's office has met the county with silence.
3: I think the governor's office has been aware that this has been a distinct possibility for several months, but uh, no, we have not heard anything.
2: Gianforte has six months to officially recognize Lake County's decision. Gianforte's office declined to answer MTPR's questions about whether the governor will do so and whether the state plans to take over felony jurisdiction for tribal members. During a public meeting, law enforcement agencies on the reservation told residents they won't see much of a change on the ground when the county withdraws. Confederated Salish and Kootenai Tribes Police Chief Craig Couture.
4: So if you have a 911 call, any kind of emergency that happens, everyone in this room will be responding. If they're close enough to get get there, the others will stay out and handle any calls around just like we always do.
2: Couture says the Tribal Jail and Prosecutor's Office do have the authority and ability to handle felony cases involving tribal members if need be. For National Native News, I'm Erin Bolton.
1: Secretary of the Interior Deb Holland says her agency is continuing work on missing and murdered indigenous people issues. We're taking a look at some of her priorities ahead of next week's White House Tribal Leaders Summit, which she'll chair. Holland says the Interior Department is reviewing recommendations recently released by an advisory commission, which was created to address MMIp and human trafficking. Missing and murdered Indigenous peoples is um, it's a it's an issue that has been present here um,
5: since colonization started on this continent. Um, it's going to take more than a few pieces of legislation to remedy uh, this really horrible, these horrible events. And so we're going to keep working on it.
1: Holland says a missing and murdered unit created in 2021 has increased investigations across the country, which she says is devoting time and funding to help solve cases and help families heal. Holland talked about work on MMIP during a recent interview with New Mexico PBS. The National Congress of American Indians, the Native American Rights Fund, and the National Native American Bar Association are celebrating the confirmation of Judge Shanlon Park to the U.S. District Court for the District of Hawaii. Park is the first Native Hawaiian woman federal judge in the state. Native Hawaiians make up nearly 22 percent of the population served by her district. Leaders of the Native group say despite the impact federal court decisions have on Native communities, Native people are underrepresented, with only seven federal judges currently serving across the country are from American Indian, Alaska Native, and Native Hawaiian communities. The organizations are praising the appointment. St. Park has deep ties to her community and understands how federal laws and policies impact Native Hawaiian, American Indian, and Alaska Native people. I'm Antonia Gonzalez.
4: National Native News is produced by Kowannock Broadcast Corporation, with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Drummond Woodsum, a full-service law firm whose nationally recognized tribal nations practice provides services to tribal nations and their enterprises and to companies that do business with tribes across the country. More at dwmlaw.com. Support by Penguin Random House, publisher of Contenders, by Tracy Sorrell. Illustrated by Aragon Starr. The story of John Mayers and Charles Bender, the first two Native pro baseball players to face off in a World Series. This and other stories at prh.com slash stories of the land. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.
0: This is the menu on Native America calling our regular feature on indigenous food and food sovereignty. I'm your host and producer, Andy Murphy. In Thomas P. Corwiso's newest food memoir, Survival Food, North Woods Stories by Menominee Cook, readers get a taste of life on the Wisconsin reservation through food memories and recipes like gray squirrel stew, roast porcupine, and kamad fruit cobbler. Starting from the 1960s, Wieso describes a changing American food landscape with influences coming onto to the res from the Commodity Food Program, the town's new giant grocery store, and a slew of Native characters who come in and out of his life. Wieso died earlier this year, but we're joined by his wife, Denise Lo Wieso, today. But first, Congress will get another look at an Indian Buffalo Management Act. It's a proposed bill in 2024, next year, that would set aside money for tribal buffalo projects. It has support from both sides of the political party line. That is what's on the menu today. You're welcome to join us too. Tell us about your tribe's Buffalo restoration projects or tell us about the foods that are most memorable to you from your childhood or from growing up in your native community. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99NATIVE. Joining us from Browning, Montana is Irvin Carlson. He's the president of the Inner Tribal Buffalo Council. He's Blackfeet. Welcome to the menu on Native America, Colleen Irvin.
6: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Yeah, thank you for joining. So um, this Indian Buffalo Management Act, um, what, what is, t- tell me about some of the specifics in that act. What, what's the main thing it would uh, change or put in place?
6: What the Indian Buffalo Management Act would create is to solidify um, the funding um, that goes out to the tribes um, for ITBC, the Intertribal Buffalo Council, uh, to be in the, the budget uh, permanently um, solidified within there, within the interior. And um, so that would make it permanent and not being um, each year, we're kind of just at the uh, discretion of wherever money's available. And this would make it permanent where the funding is there, the budget is, we're in the budget, and uh, solidify that, um, the dollars that do go out to the tribes.
0: Okay. And uh, this would be in the Interior Department?
6: This would be in the Interior Department within the Natural Resources, yes.
0: Okay. All right. And um, how are... uh, Buffalo management projects funded now.
6: We are funded through um, through the Interior, but um, like I say, it's not in there um, by law. Um, like I say, it's just at discretion. So we do uh, receive funding from there, and it comes out to ITBC, and we pass it straight to through the tribes uh, through her uh, a process called the Herd Development Grant.
0: Okay. And would this law have any effect on land management?
6: Well, it would help within, um, and depending on how much funding there is to help tribes um, to maybe increase um, landscape for Buffalo to be on. Um, and that would depend on how much um uh, you know, money, how much is uh, funding would be, you know, awarded to to uh, to this to the Indian Buffalo Management Act and then how much we would be able to distribute out to each tribe.
0: Okay. And uh, what makes a tribe uh, eligible to receive some of these funds?
6: Tribes are eligible through, they have uh, a Buffalo program, and but also there's tribes that are startups that... Um, That we do provide them to put their infrastructure in place such as fencing watering all those issues that need to be in place um and land acquisition like you asked is is a real big thing this would help uh, the funding would help tribes to you know um to acquire more lands uh for the buffalo
0: okay and is there any projection so far for any increase in the numbers of herds if this becomes law next year?
6: It, the Intertribal Buffalo Council each year grows by about three to five tribes. Right now we're going to be going to our annual membership meeting and uh, inducting six tribes that have joined in the past year and a half, so we will be doing that. Um, So it'll certainly um, entice those tribes that want to be a part of it, um, because there would be increased funding to help them um, to, to grow their herds, to start a herd, and with all of their infrastructure.
0: Right, right. And, um, you know, both sides uh, in the House and Senate, uh, you know, this bill is being supported from uh, Republicans like Oklahoma's Tom Cole and Mark Wayne Mullen, and Democrats like uh, Mary Peltola from Alaska and Norma Torres from California. Uh, Does that kind of bipartisan support give you hope that this will become law next year?
6: very much so it being bipartisan is is um, really gives us a lot of hope that you know from both sides we have the support um, and that it would go forward with it being bipartisan.
0: Okay. And so the Intertribal Buffalo Council, um, what kind of work do you guys do? Is it, uh, um, you know, part of uh, uh, creating and introducing uh, bills? Is that something that the Intertribal Buffalo Council does?
6: Yeah, the administration, we're continually uh, supporting tribes, like with technical services. and always looking at um, funding to help them um, create, um, like I talked about earlier, whatever infrastructure needs that they would be or any projects that they would be doing. We're also working a lot with youth, um, getting them into um, bringing back a big part of their culture, land issues, um, so helping them Getting to whether it might be going to school for biology, range management, uh, so we're always creating those um, youth programs also for them and getting them involved. So um, a lot of our the, the things that um, ITBC is doing are those, and including um, including uh, the apprenticeships is what we call it, and bringing them young people in, getting into a lot of tribes in the past especially like mine didn't have our own a tribal biologists range managers so we're helping to create that um, those natural resource uh, jobs you know are opportunities for them to be get into that field okay.
0: Uh so, what is the timeline that uh the legislation lays out w- What is the best case scenario for when uh Congress might act on this?
6: Well, I'm not sure, but we're hoping that they would um actually it would happen real soon um and things seem to be moving pretty fast um now on it I will be going be uh, in DC on the fifth um, doing testimony on on the, uh, on the bill so it seems to be on a fast track and we're hoping within uh, sometime in 24 that this would be fat passed and that we would uh, it would be law
0: okay is that the White House tribal nation summit
6: That is going on the same time um, after our hearing will be going on just before um, the day before the Tribal Summit.
0: Okay. All right. Um, Have there been previous efforts to establish a stable source of funding for Native Buffalo management?
6: We've been at this for uh, quite a few years. Mm -hmm. We have um, tried to get it solidified within the interior by creating it uh, within the interior and then also this bill we've been working on it for oh it's been a while that i can't even remember but um on in the last session we had it going then it was um stalled on the senate side but now picked up and, and going again and like i said it's going on a fast track now And we hopefully, hopefully, that does go on through and get passed on both sides.
0: Okay. All right. We're going to go to a break here in just a moment. But uh, why should the general public be aware of the importance of um, funding for uh, buffalo management?
6: Well, the biggest thing to be aware of it is that the tribes that are within the organization, uh, you know, would know that this is. Um, something that really needs to be supported, Uh, if the general public knew, um, you know, even talk to their congressional people of this, how it helps tribes to restore a big part of their culture that has been um, decimated, near decimation. um, It would really be, you know, the public should really be aware of that, um, that this would help tribes in restoring a big part of the culture that was taken away.
0: All right, all right. We're talking with uh, Irvin Carlson. He's the president of the Inner Tribal Buffalo Council. Um, we're we're talking about a bill that has been introduced, and uh, uh, it's going to be heard by Senate next year, pretty soon. Um, it's going to helpfully, um, you know, set aside some money in the Interior Department for a tribal Buffalo management project. So we're gonna um, take a break right now and we'll be back with the menu right after this. Naida and Tuscarora nations were among the tribes that sided with the new colonial rebels in the Revolutionary War. Several other tribes fought alongside the British. Many individual native soldiers distinguished themselves in the war for independence. We'll learn about the tribal perspectives on America's war with the British on the next Native America Calling.
4: The Association on American Indian Affairs welcomes all to Tribal Museums Day, December 2nd through the 10th. Tribal museums may offer no cost or reduced admission, art markets, and cultural demonstrations. Tribal Museums Day honors Native nations as the experts of their diverse cultures. A map of tribal museums and more is available at indian-affairs.org slash Day. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this show.
0: This is The Menu on Native America Calling, our regular show on indigenous food news and food sovereignty. I'm Andy Murphy. We're talking with Irvin Carlson from the Intertribal Buffalo Council right now about a proposed bill to support buffalo herds. You're, uh, we'll hear more about it, but you're welcome to join us too. Does your tribe have a buffalo management program? Give us a call. We're at 1-800-996-2848. Are there any new Native Food Sovereignty programs taking place in your area? Tell us about that, too. We're also at 1-800-99-NATIVE. Irvin, um, well, first I want to ask, how many different uh, tribal management, uh, tribal buffalo management programs are there out there right now?
6: All well, right. Now within the Tribal Buffalo Council, there is now eighty-four tribes, and I think there's fifty-four um, tribes with herds.
0: Okay. And um, what are what are some of these programs like? Are they specifically to uh, restore herds, or are they for um, uh, food sovereignty initiatives? Like, what what are what are how do these uh, programs vary from each other?
6: Um, They do vary quite a bit. Some of the tribes want to return Buffalo just for the cultural purposes. Keep it there. A lot of them are into the food sovereignty uh, issue and a lot of them are now uh, big enough to be into uh, economic development.
0: Okay. And uh, for tribes who are uh, focused on economic development, I mean, what what kinds of uh, support would they need and and how would this uh, bill uh, help help them out with that?
6: Well, it would give um, ITBC the money to help with marketing, building a market out there, and to be able to promote um, their product.
0: All right. All right. Hey, we have a caller on the line. Let's uh, go to Chinupa over in Pine Ridge, listening to KILI, Keely. Hey, Chinupa.
7: Hey, thank you for taking this call. And the gentleman that's talking about the Pte Oyate, better known in Lakota country as the Kachanka Oyate. Hey, Lakota, kile Taku, Hena, Yuta, Echa, Wap, long time ago in ancient times, what I said in the language was that the buffalo gave us the ability to continue to live freely because we come from them. Our homeland here in the sacred Black Hills is called Wind Cave. When the buffalo came out from Wind Cave, they brought we Lakotas out. And so the the four-legged brother is our family. So it's very dear that this gentleman brought this understanding out about him because Some people want to preserve, you know, fruit sovereignty, and some want to preserve, you know, the the, uh, uh, large herds of the buffalo. But here on Pine Ridge, our herds are limited. We had one brother named Charles Bam Brewer. He had a herd, but he got rid of them. So nobody knows what became of them. But the Oglala Sioux tribe has a herd on the eastern part of the reservation down in a place which we call Yellow Bear Canyon. In Lakota, they call it, you know, Shkokpa. The more people get involved with uh, preserving our herds, the better off we'll become. And the the health issues that go on in Indian country will no longer be a means of measure. That, four-legged brother ours, is our medicine. So thank you for having this subject on, Native American Calling. And thank you, young lady, for taking my call. Ha-ho.
0: All right, thanks, for, uh, Chinupa. Um, uh Irvin, uh, Chinupa talks about the cultural importance of uh, buffalo. Uh, is that a big part of advocating for tribal involvement in buffalo management?
6: The big, the, the real important to you know our culture. They're a part of that. That what we in our beginning and while buffalo were everything to us. You know our economy, our Food or clothing or lodging, but they were a big part of our ceremonies, and a big a lot of parts of the buffalo are used in our ceremonies. So, that's a big part of our culture that is being uh, by bringing buffalo back, is uh, returning all of that to what we've uh, what has been gone for so long.
0: Right. And you're not only the president of the Inner Tribal Buffalo Council, but you also manage a, a herd in um, for for the Blackfeet Tribe, right?
6: Yes, I do. I do. I've been uh, working in that realm um, for a lot of years since 1996, actually.
0: All right. Yeah, how, um, how has this uh, herd um, changed or um, grown? H- how has it um, benefited the, the tribe so far after all these years?
6: Yes, well, we're at the point now where we do have enough animals and, and uh, the tribe just set aside some more land also. But where we're able to uh, do some marketing, which we're doing um, now, but also, we provide uh, meat freely to uh, to our elders, to the people with uh, health issues like diabetes, heart disease, and all of those. So, you know, we're able to uh, provide that uh, real healthy meat out to them people. And we also do a lot of um, uh, programs with with our schools and the community uh, with Buffalo.
0: Okay and in uh, uh indigenous food especially when we kind of look at um economic development and uh you know agriculture and um, management of uh, herds and even cattle uh processing has been a really big issue that that had been something that um you know a lot of tribes are are currently working on is that something that is a a big part of um um, you know, Buffalo management here
6: it, it actually is you know where we're, we're um, ITBC is working um, and then the Buffalo Management Act would, would help also with funding to create um, um, processing facilities uh, for tribes out there right now we do have a mobile um, processing uh, unit that we take out to tribes and we're trying to create uh, one regionally, um, for each region that within the organization. Uh, but that's a big issue that we would be, we've been working on, and we still will be, uh, in the future of helping tribes with uh, possibly building those processing plants. Okay.
0: All right. Um, so uh, for for. Young people, and and you mentioned young people uh, before the break, um, wanting to recruit, like, the next generation of uh, buffalo um, uh, managers, (laughs) buffalo herd managers uh, for tribes. Where would uh, a person go if they were interested in um, getting into this industry here?
6: Well, we've been creating... um trainings um, and we'll, we'll probably have those within if You look on the itbc website we've been um, creating um um what would you call them um lost for the word here of um programs you know that we would bring in uh, people that were interested in that and we would create uh, a training you know for them Uh, Throughout the year in different areas and different regions. We're working on doing that.
0: All right. Cool. Well, um uh Irvin, um thank you so much for joining us and of course for listeners out there, we have our guests listed on our website nativeamericacalling.com if you want to look up who our guests are. They're there and most times they have a link to their websites or the awesome work that they're doing. So, um uh, native com is where you can find more information and a link to the Native tribal buffalo council website uh, joining us now from northern california is denise lo wiso she's the wife of thomas picor wiso uh, she's also an educator and author and she has delaware heritage welcome to the menu denise
5: Hello, good to be in, on your program, and thanks for, to Irvin for all that wonderful information about bison or buffalo.
0: Uh, so so we want to talk about uh, survival food, uh, North Woods Stories by Menominee cook. That is the newest book by uh, Thomas Wieso that came out uh, in October. And I, I've been going through it and I've been having a really good time reading it. You know, it's a food memoir. And this is not the first food memoir by your husband, Tom. Uh, what what um, new things do we learn in this new book? And, uh, uh, you know, what, what more did he want to say in this new memoir?
5: This, this book had many uh, different axes of origin, because, you know, he started out wanting to write about the trails that go through the Menominee Reservation. And the land and what happened at different sites on the reservation. And then because he was Tom and he loved to eat, he would also remember what foods were connected with which places. So it's really kind of a deep geography that includes everything from the land to the people. And then uh, the connection between people and the land is the foods that we consume every day.
0: Yeah, um, and and his previous uh, food memoir is uh, Good Seeds, uh, Menominee Indian Food Memoir back in uh, 2016. Um, I'd really like to get into that one uh, sometime after I uh, finished the last couple chapters of this new one, uh, Survival Food. But um, Survival Food comes with a whole bunch of recipes. There's a recipe after every chapter, And uh, in the beginning of the show, I just mentioned uh, gray squirrel stew and uh, porcupine roast. And he uses a lot of commodity foods uh, in uh, these recipes as well. Um, Have you tried many of the recipes in this new book, Survival
5: Food? I, I have tried many of them. I drew the line at Blue Jello or Blue Jello Pudding. Okay. <laughs> and one of the things that Tom did is the first book is mostly about uh, being on the reservation. This book is, he moves chronologically forward into his own life, into his tweens and teens. And the, the, as he moved out to uh, living in the cities around the Menominee Reservation, including Green Bay and, and Wausau. So there are um, episodes of in, in his life of living on, fat, on, on junk food, I'm sorry, junk food, and commodity foods that were issued by the government um, that were easily prepared and, and then what's ingenious, and I think very indigenous, is then he transformed these foods into something uh, beautiful in his memories. Like when he decided that in his family, his mom was commuting to Green Bay to work on her uh, degree in education. So he was a latchkey kid, as he says. And so he and his siblings learned to eat out of the pantry. Because he started putting blue food coloring into the jello puddings, none of his siblings would touch it because it looked too weird. So he got to gobble up all of the um, pudding desserts.
0: Yeah, I like how he described it like a, like a fridge full of um psychedelic art or something like that when he discovered like different yeah. colors of yeah. jello and pudding to put together and um uh, uh I, I, there there was a chapter I read where he's talking about um uh, like powdered milk, uh instant milk and that one really showed like the um uh you know of the, the the ability to survive and turn something that uh is not very good like he he's describing uh you know commodity commod uh instant milk as like just you know gross and uh uh just has a weird taste after growing up on uh fresh milk for for so long and then getting uh this like powdered shelf stable milk and then you know everybody's saving same- up these uh, packages of, of milk and could because nobody wants to drink it and then he uh, uses it to make yogurt and it happens to be like the best tasting yogurt uh, he's ever had and, and pretty soon uh, the pantry doesn't have any more milk that instant milk and he's asking his neighbors for uh, their their, um, their storage of, of milk and I thought that was pretty uh, genius I mean you know, that kind of goes to, um, uh, you know, the, the definition of uh, survival food. I mean, h- how many different, I guess, definitions of survival food uh, do we get in this book, Survival Food?
5: Oh, oh, that's a wonderful question, because Tom was a survivor. He did not come from an easy home background. Mm-hmm. And, and then his as he so the survival becomes just spiritual survival psychological survival physical survival and and then you know I love the way he used joy as a way to survive as well um <laughs> and and I'm thinking also as we're on the subject of kamats is um his friend who made uh scrambled powdered eggs and somehow by the use of of onions and other um, Technique, he, he and powdered mashed potatoes. You know, he tr- transformed it into something that that not only helped him um, survive f- physically, but it it bound them together with friendship. And and I think this book is a lot about love, about the love of friend- friends, and how shared foods um, make you know, you one spirit in a way.
0: Right, right. I like how he described them as, like, weaponized eggs. <laughs> and you know, that, that uh, humor comes out um, uh, throughout the whole book, uh, like you mentioned. And um, that, that's something that we have connected to our food just all across Native America is, you know, commods and, you know, just surviving on, um, you know, uh, uh, foods that we could could afford you I mean that that becomes something that is uh you know becomes a humorous story when uh you know a lot of us think back on um you know some of those times uh mom's making do with this and that and uh yeah definitely like very similar to my growing up on the Navajo Nation and definitely my parents growing up on the Navajo Nation I definitely saw a lot of my dad in uh, this book as well. I was kind of imagining like Tom kind of being my dad because they're about the same age here. <laughs> uh, we're going to go to a break uh, right after this. We'll continue with Denise Lo a uh, uh, wife of Thomas Wieso. He's the author of Survival Food, Northwood Stories by a Menominee Cook.
4: Support for journalism that raises the awareness of child well-being to citizens and to policymakers, provided by the Annie E. Casey Foundation, building a brighter future for children, families, and communities. Information at aecf.org. support by Ramona Farms. For over 40 years, Ramona's American Indian Foods has revived tepary beans, pinole, traditional wheat flours, and more. Delivery for your holiday gatherings, available on orders placed at store.ramonafarms.com. Don
0: You are listening to The Menu on Native America Calling, which is our regular feature on Indigenous food and food sovereignty. I'm Mandy Murphy, and we're talking with Denise Lowe-Wiso today about her husband Thomas Wiso's new food memoir, which is called Survival Food, Northwood Stories by a Menominee Cook. You can join our conversation, too. There's still time. What foods are most memorable from your childhood or from growing up in your Native community? We're at one eight hundred nine nine six two eight four eight. 996 2848 That's also one-eight hundred nine nine native. I want to go over to a caller, uh, Chief Arvil looking horse on the line now in Cheyenne River, uh listening on the radio. Hey, uh Chief Arvil looking horse.
3: Aho. A pet day. I'm going to say that uh today uh like uh, the buffalo it's very important to our diet, and I've been the keeper of the sacred pipe since
2: 1966.
3: And in our traditional ways, that uh, our the buffalo and the white buffalo ca- calf woman, you know, she brought the sacred tranupa, a place called called Mato-tipula. that devil's tower, and we. She said that uh, that we were to be known as the Eoyate, the Buffalo people. And that was over 2,000 years ago. And our diet is uh, the Buffalo. And I've been uh, working with the people, uh, with the... the 80s, with the, I'm the spiritual leader of the Bigfoot ride, bringing the horses and the buffalo back mm. to our reservations because I am a full blown diabetic uh, in uh, 2017. And then from that time till today, I changed my diet back to the buffalo meat and uh, vegetables and uh, and uh, my being full blown, blown diabetic with a uh, now my feet turned black on me, and now it, I turned it around because uh, of the food diet. The, uh, the, the food is important. Okay. And now I'm really, uh, my blood sugar is uh, low and like 130, 25, and 30. You know? right. So today I'm really healthy. I feel very good about going changing my uh and the I talk about the white buffalo prophecy and we they, we know that uh there's that the the buffalo people uh the buffalo and the horses uh, they bring the rain back to uh, Ochimaka. and so this is a very important uh uh what you're all sharing here today.
0: All right.
6: Oh.
0: All right. Thank you so much, uh, Chief Arvel, uh, looking horse. I want to go back real quick to uh, Irvin Carlson. He is the president of the Intertribal Buffalo Council. Um, uh, we're hearing from uh, Chief Arvel about the importance of um, uh, buffalo for our diets. Uh, do you think the rest of the nation understands this connection tribes have with buffalo?
6: Could you say that again?
0: Yeah. Uh, Do you think the rest of the nation understands this uh, uh, dietary, nutritional connection tribes have with buffalo?
6: You know, I do. I think that there's a lot of, um, you know, the other people out there that do realize, because I know that, um even myself had um marketed to a lady that was um buying our buffalo and and because it was natural and then she was selling it in california um so all of them realized that this is a real um a real natural healthy food for people out there so i think they all realize that um but just saying that too you know We would also need, you know, their support as to returning buffalo also with all of the other um, hurdles that we do have to overcome.
0: All right. All right. Uh, I want to go back to Denise Lo Wiso um, and, and back to the book, uh, Survival Food. Uh, Denise, we're, and, and of course, we're hearing this from the other guests and callers as well, like this uh, uh, change or, you know, what some might call an evolution of food. And this food memoir uh, really gives us a lesson about how American food has changed over years. Can you tell us a little bit about that in this book?
5: Um, uh, Tom really wanted to bring the best of traditional foods into contemporary times and he remembered his grandfather talking about wood buffalo who were in the forest at, of the Menominee Reservation within his grandfather's memory and as we were living in Kansas We'd made a point to eat buffalo regularly, and we were pleased to find our local grocery stores um, would have a buffalo burger that we could buy. And that was one of the things we ate regularly in support of those herds. The Potawatomi Reservation nearby had one herd. And, and also the local ranchers who were committing themselves to raising um, buffalo. He also uh, thought of the fish as one of the important um, healthy foods with no matter how you obtain them. And I, I loved his uh, story about um, f- of smelt, that um, Mm -hmm. had once been common in the uh, northern Wisconsin, especially Door County, and uh, around Green Bay. And I I might read just a little bit about that, if I may.
0: Yeah, yeah, go Uh, ahead, go ahead.
5: Yeah, um, I was sitting at a tavern in Door County's Bailey's Harbor, just up the road from Green Bay, listening to local fishermen talk about smelt. The younger one said the easiest way to catch smelt was to stretch pantyhose around a coat hanger, walk along the shore, and scoop them up. His companion, a grizzled old-timer, said his preferred method of fishing was to simply wade in the shallows, scoop the smelt out with his hands, and put them on the shore. He added that the easiest method for cleaning them was to bite off the heads. The entrails apparently came off with the heads. I presume he spit the heads out, but his younger friend chuckled. So I'm not sure of the biting the heads off method. The story may be ap- apocryphal. So, you know, one of the very old, old, um, original methods of catching fish was to simply grab them and throw them on the shore, on the bank. Um, and then, he, but Tom, like, enjoys the ingenuity of taking pantyhose around a coat hanger mm-hmm. and making an improvised net just the right size. And, and you know, I, I love that throughout the book, he's updating things and, and connecting the past with the present.
0: Yeah, the, you know, there was a chapter that really... um uh you know opened my eyes to just how far we've come uh you know just as uh, americans and um you know our, our food system and how how it's really changed i mean there's there's a chapter where tom describes uh, a, a new grocery store in the area um and it, because of the grocery store and how much uh you know, how vegetables are available and a bag of potatoes is uh, way less than how much it, um, you know, how much it costs to grow them. And then all of a sudden the family is not growing a garden anymore and they can just go to the grocery store and buy these things. I mean, that that was also something that uh, uh, really opened my eyes to how our food system has changed. And... Um, uh, is there something that uh, you, something new you learned from reading this book or uh, you know just being witness to uh, your husband writing this book is there something new you you learned about him or or native food
5: um you know, one of the things that I learned about that I had not expected to was the Menominee food pyramid hmm. um, and of course the uh, Federal Drug Administration, Food and Drug Administration has revised the pur- food pyramid a number of times in my lifetime. But I've never heard anyone describe the indigenous food pyramid of the Menominee people in particular, which was built around four basic elements, as Tom said sweet, salt, meat, and water. The actual presentation of these elements, what appeared on the table, was subject to his grandmother's interpretation.
8: Mm -hmm.
5: And then he goes on to describe corn. We ate a lot of corn and however it appeared, be it dried like a nut for a sweet snack, fresh on the cob, ham made into hull corn, store-bought hominy, sweet kernels out of a tin can, or dried multicolored kernels popped in sizzling hot fat, corn counted as a sweet component of our meal. And I think that list of the different ways that his family is eating corn—from uh, kernels out of a tin can to the hull corn that is laboriously made um, in the traditional method—all uh, of these are par- part of the daily fare.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I have a uh, audio piece um, from uh, your husband actually reading from his previous food memoir, uh, Good Seeds. Uh, l- let's hear him read a piece from that.
8: Bears and apples would not appear to go together, but they do. We went apple picking at the orchards where the Wolf River washed around the bends and eroded small caves. In the autumn season, bears like to den in these caves because they also like to harvest the nearby apples. When we went apple picking, it didn't matter that bears were around because they did not go after the same kind of apple we wanted. The bears selected fermented apples, too rotten for us. The alcohol-laden food must have appealed to them because they ate to excess. Drunken bears are not hard to identify. They stagger. They roll on the ground with blissful smiles. They slur their growls. Some of the people from the Department of Natural Resources used to say that the bears ate rotten apples only because of the grubs and other protein in them, but this was not true. They ate fermented apples like we would drink apple beer, and they seemed to enjoy themselves until they passed out. We never bothered them. Family stories about bears and apples and wild edibles like milkweed, plums, and blackberries will live on. Children will learn how to do things, how to survive. This is universal to all people. They will enter Menominee heaven food, drink, and friends with whom to share stories and some laughs.
0: I love that, Menominee Heaven. Um, uh, So bears frequently uh, make an appearance throughout this uh, new food memoir, uh, Survival Food, Um, and there's actually a bear on the cover. Uh, What is the significance of uh, bears in um, uh, his writing and his life, Denise?
5: Well, he was Bear Clan, mm. um, and he made that absolutely clear to me the first time I met him, and until the very last moment. Um, the courage, the, the ingenuity, um, and, and the ability to heal, all of these things uh, went into uh, what he understood as Bear Clan, and and i also see this great respect for bears throughout his writings and also the the willingness to see the 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 funny bear the, the you know the that you know we're always trying to learn about each other uh, wildlife and, you know and and people and I, I loved also the thing i loved about tom's writing was his style he was so descriptive and funny, and in this new book, um, he he writes about bears again because uh, a, a little cub got climbed up too high and it couldn't get down, <laughs> and the whole community came around and was trying to figure out what to do with this little cub up there. Nobody wanted to, you know, shoot it or wait for the mama bear to come attack. But he he just describes what it's like living with. Um, bears around those few black bears still coming around weren't living or feeding on the reservation but it didn't stop them from being nosy cantankerous or simply oblivious tourists and walking through the neighborhood like they owned it right (laughs) black bears blunder through one mess and move onward to the next they have untidy habits and make awful neighbors they are very curious wandering loners that curiosity makes them dangerous. So um just you know, like acknowledging that they are neighbors um and and equals, I think is one of the important points he's making in this colorful passage.
0: Right, right. And uh, definitely the language is so very colorful. Um, I, I really had an easy time reading uh, through, through the pages. Um, it, it, it comes out uh, so vividly and uh, really just really love the language throughout this book and um, can't wait to read uh, the last couple chapters of it and then uh, maybe get into Good Seeds, the previous one. Um, so I, I that, that, that's all the time we have for our show today uh denise Lowe, thank you so much for uh joining us uh, De- De- denise Lowe we and then also thank you to uh irvin carlson join us next week for another lineup of discussions about indigenous issues and topics our executive producer is Art Hughes. Sean Spruce is the host. Sol Traverso is a producer. Marino Spencer is the engineer. Sho McPullen is the digital producer. Nola Daves-Moses is the distribution director. Bob Peterson is the network manager for Native Voice One. Clifton Chadwick is our national underwriting sales director. Antonio Gonzalez is the anchor for National Native News. Charles Sather is the chief operations officer. The president and CEO of Kewanag Broadcast Corporation is Jacqueline Salee. Have a safe weekend. I'm Andy Murphy.
8: Fashe. Our elders are sacred and deserve the best. Check in with them to make sure they have the healthcare coverage they need. For more information, visit healthcare.gov coverage or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. El
4: Support provided by Amerind. Amerind is 100% tribally owned and partners with tribes and their businesses to provide affordable commercial insurance coverage, protect tribal sovereignty, and strengthen Native American communities by helping to keep dollars in Indian country. Information about property, liability, commercial auto, and workers' comp available at Amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D dot Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico, by Quantic Broadcast Corporation a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis, Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.